We're going to be in Luke chapter 6. That is Isaiah. That is not Luke. (laughs) So just a reminder, so we stand for the word of God, for the reading of the Bible, because I want to make sure that we know that this is the word of truth. My, my words are, are, my, are, are the way that I believe that God is moving and speaking and, uh, and trying to explain and move us and empower us. But this is the word of God. This is the truth that we stand on. And this is the truth in, in which we, we live. So we want to stand to honor this. And then we sit to listen to, you know, this. <laughs> so, so let's read uh, Luke chapter 6. We're going to be in, uh, starting in verse 27. <laughs> We're getting there. There you go. But I say to you who listen, listen, love, listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those who, from, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But... Love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Jesus, we pray right now that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds. God, I just have this in my heart. God, that you would give me a comfort up here on, on this, as we have this, this mat up here, God, that you would give me the comfort like I'm sitting in my living room with all these people, just sitting and, and, and talking about Jesus, sitting and talking about the word and proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ in all of its glory, in all of its power, because it is a gospel of Christ that leads to repentance and leads to change and leads to life. So God, let your words be in my heart and my mouth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, several years ago, there was a movie that came out um, called End of the Spear. And in this is actually a true story. Um, and they consulted everyone. And it was a Christian-based, it was a Christian movie, Christian-produced movie. And so they talked to the people involved in the story, uh, and these missionaries. And they wanted to proclaim the goodness of God's Love And so here's the story. In 1956, um, there was this operation, if I can do this, Auku, <laughs> in which they were going to, to go and proclaim the gospel to the Wyodami, Wyodani people in the Amazon, in eastern Ecuador. And so there's these, this, this group of people, this, this man, um, Minkayani, Minkayani, saves this other person, Dayume, uh, during a raid by a neighboring tribe. But Dayume is blamed for her sister's death because these tribes were at battle with each other. Somehow, this feud broke out where one person died at the hands of the other, and so they just kept doing revenge killings for years. And that's all these, these people knew for generations was revenge killing. 
that people would, would storm the other place, kill someone, and then go back. And then they would storm their place and kill them and come back. It was this, it was this lineage and legacy of death in, these, in this tribe. And so this, this Dayume, who was blamed for her sister's death, went and she lived with, her, uh, lived with the foreigners um, in, in the towns and, and left her tribe. And she befriends this girl named Rachel Saint. Well, her father, her father's name is Nate, is Nate Saint. And he is one of five missionaries that were part of this, uh, this group that would, the, that would build planes and fly them into the remote places of the Amazon and share the gospel. They'd learn certain phrases that, if they could or try to figure out how to communicate with these tribes and share the gospel with them. It was awesome. So these five, feet, these five men were determined that they wanted to go and reach the Wyodami, uh, Wyodami people, people group, even though they knew that there was tension. And the last like, three groups that went to try to reach them all died. So they went. They flew in. And so they were determined to make contact. And so they go in, and there's this man, um, one, of the, one of the tribe members. I want to say it's, it's Menkayani, uh, um, who comes and he meets him, and then these two women in this group. And they're, they're nice. They have a peaceful, great meeting, first meeting with these people. They, they say this phrase, we are your friends. They learned from, uh, from, Di- from Diume, who came into town and they created the relationship with Rachel, Nate's daughter. And so they created this relationship. So they learned certain phrases that they could say to communicate. Well, misinformation happened. And they went back to the tribe and the, this group of people like just spread like wildfire, this false narrative in the tribe. And the tribe came and they killed all five of those people. And Min, including Minkayani was one of the men who came and killed. And he personally killed Nate Saint with his own spear, run him through, ran him through the spear. So Minkayani. So Rachel... And, and the group, they were also determined that they were not going to give up. So they came in, they came back and started ministering with the, with the, the Wyodami people, Wyodani people. And Minkayani came to faith in Christ. And years later, Steve, you know, Minkayani is like begging uh, Steve. So Steve is Nate's son who emigrated, who emigrated back to the United States. He's begging him to come and live in Ecuador and minister to the people around. And they be, they, he comes and they become friends. And Minkayani actually gets to baptize Steve. But here's the that's part. Son. That's his son. Okay. Steve, yeah, Steve is Nate's son. <laughs> Steve is Nate's son. Okay. And so Steve comes over and, they, and, and Minkayani takes him to the river where his father died. And he... It goes to this place in the river and he's scooping up and he finds this piece of the plane. And he said, this is where your father died. And Minkayani told Steve, this is where I ran your father through with my spear. And he grabbed his spear and he gave it to Steve and he, and he knelt before him. And Steve broke the spear and threw it to the ground and embraced his brother and forgave him. He loved Minkayani. And they were friends till the day that Minkayani died, April 2020, last year. They, they traveled the world 
telling the story of God's love for enemies. God's love. And because of their love and because of the healing and the restoration that happened in, the, in that tribe of coming to faith in Christ, both tribes were healed. And the, the revenge killings stopped. That is the power of God's love for enemies. So the question that is on our mind this morning is, are you capable of loving those who oppose you, attack you, or in our culture, simply disagree with you? Because sometimes that's the hardest thing. We, we pose people and lift them up, or I guess descend them you know, as enemies if they disagree with us. Disagreement has now become the new hatred in American culture. So if people disagree with us, we feel like we're being persecuted. We're not. So we need to learn how to create this area of dialogue. And the way that we do that, how do we engage in these things? When Christ is your foundation, you can love your enemies from a place of stability. When Christ is your foundation, like, the last, like that last song, build your foundation on the rock of Christ. We love to transform enemies. That is the power of the gospel. Christ's love. We love to transform enemies. We love to transform enemies, like we love doing it, but we also love intentionally in order to transform our enemies. Now, I wanna, I'm going to use these, be using these words this, here this morning. And so if you, if you have your notes, uh, I'm going to be using these words. And so I want to make sure that we know a, a definition. We've, we've been talking about several of these things uh, for a while now, but, but I want to make sure that we, we have a good working definition of love. This is, these are the, the love, hate, good, evil friends, enemies here in this church. So love, like we've been talking about, it means steadfast devotion. It's the, the, from, the, I believe, the word chesed in the Hebrew, which means steadfast faithfulness. God's steadfast fast faithfulness to his people, to those who love him to those who are part of the covenant. So this is a covenant love. It's a steadfast, unbreaking, that's why it's unconditional. So like unconditional is like under the umbrella of steadfast devotion. So steadfast devotion to your good. However, the other one, steadfast devotion to your downfall or destruction is hatred. So think about all the beautiful imagery of love, steadfast devotion and faithfulness to your good, to your flourishing. Hate is the, is the complete opposite of that. It's the withholding. It is the, it's, it's not just a hostility. It's just, it's simply a complete stripping of everything, steadfast love. Good. Anything good is that which ends in life and flourishing or flourishing. Evil, anything that ends in vanity or destruction. Again, these polar opposites, good and evil, that which gives life and that which takes away life or just is vanity, it's vain. Doesn't matter if it happened or not. Friends. Those who we love, they're the object of agape. They're a beloved. It's the, the, the Greek word in, for friends in, in, the, in the New Testament is phileo, which, you know, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Phileo, and also um, the word goes away from me. Something else. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but this is basically like a, you, this is a person that is a prized one to you. 
This, it's experience-based. It's personal affection. It's friendly affection for someone else. And enemies is, again, the opposite. Those who are hostile toward you, or those who you are hostile, those who you are against. Again, they're the objects of your hatred. They're objects of hatred. Um, so this is the opposite of phileo. Experience-based personal animosity or de- detestation. So in our scripture passages, so I want to make sure we start from a good working foundation. This is what we're talking about here this morning. And I love this. This word. Again, probably my favorite word in scripture. But! This is a big but. I'm not going to go into that song. Uh, so this word Allah in the Greek means but. This is a big but. So there's de, which is a like and, for, even, can be kind of certain things, but this can only be but. This is a complete opposite contrast, like love versus hate. This is a but. Love, this person loved this person, but hated this person over here. This is a big but. So that's the very first word that we start with. This is going to take you several hours, so you can get strapped in, get some coffee. Uh, we're going to go word for word. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But this is, this is a great word. This is a beautiful word because what's, what's the context here? Look backwards in your Bible. We just got done last week talking about the blessings and the woes, right? So this is, it's going to be great for you guys. It's going to suck for you guys because y'all are already there. Y'all are already poor, hungry, um, weeping, and hate, you know, or hated. It's going to be great for you because that's what the kingdom of God is like. You're going to be blessed because you're already there. But it's kind of kind of not going to go really well. not going to feel good for a while for those of you who are rich, for those who you are full and, hung, and, you know, and laughing, those, those of you who are well-liked, those who, who all people speak well of you because, guess what? It's going to change. So put your seatbelt on, put your goggles on, make sure you're ready. It's coming. And that's what Jesus is, is telling his, his disciples. That is what it means to follow Christ. And so we get this picture of it's going it's to be hard for many, many people as they come to follow Jesus Christ and become a disciple of him. But, but, I say to those of you who will listen, again, this is, this is one of those, you know, he who has ears, phrase, we hear this all the time in scripture. He who has ears, let them hear. He who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to you. Isaiah 6, go and preach to a people who will not hear so that I can kick their butts. That's exactly what this Alan Alan paraphrase of Isaiah 6. (laughs) So that I can punish them because they broke the covenant. Because they will not listen. Because they are hard-hearted, stubborn. Stubborn as a mule. And my wife knows what stubbornness of mules is like. <laughs> well, she was, she was raised up on a mule farm. Sorry. I should preface that. Amberlynn was raised, raised on a mule, mule ranch. So <laughs> that's what she knows. <laughs> Although I guess you could say that's probably why she married me because she, she's already familiar with, you know, being married to a mule. <laughs> Someone who's stubborn. Oh my gosh. But this is God's, this is Jesus' way, this is always God's way of inviting people to truth, inviting people to hear about shalom, inviting them to his way of flourishing. Listen up, open your ears, 
That's what I always like, always like to say to my, to my son. We have to say it often. Open your ears. Open your Jackson, Jackson. Jackson, Jackson. Hey, Jack. Flicking the head. Hey, oh, there you are. Hi. Listen up. Stop hitting your sister. Actually, usually it's angle. I have to tell Hazel to stop hitting her brother most often these days. So, <laughs> but I love it. So this is God. So listen up. Listen up, church. This is Jesus inviting you in to listen and to encounter. To and He's inviting you in to His shalom, inviting you in to His way, inviting you into His truth with these four exhortations. The very first one: love your enemies. All right, we're going to move on really quick. Because um, that one's not really... It seems like, oh yeah, we love our enemies. It's one of those things that sounds easy. But it's so hard. Again, going back to the def- that definition of enemies. Hateful. These are your haters. Those who are hostile to you. Or those you love. This is, I love this, these definitions. One who is at war. Do you have someone in your life? Or are you someone who is at war with someone else. Because that's the definition of an enemy. Or one who has long been alienated and refuses to be reconciled. Is that you? Is that someone against you? I love this quote by N.T. Wright. He says, Think of the best thing you can do for the worst person and go ahead and do that. Think of people you are tempted and told you should be nasty to. And lavish, lavish, lavish generosity on them instead. This is the whole basis for this entire section. So he, he kind of goes on to describe that. You know, love your enemies. Do what, is, do what is good to those who hate you. And he goes, you know, continues, continues on. Anyone who strikes you on the cheek. So strikes you on the cheek. This is not like a, someone just like is assaulting you or This is a public rejection. This is a shaming this would be someone who, like, um, basically, like when you're when someone is is you know causing too much ruckus in the in the synagogues. This would be the church. Anytime Paul or Silas or the or these these people went into the synagogue, and were were then subsequently you know expelled, it wasn't just a get out. They would bring them out in a ceremonial because everything for the Pharisees is ceremonial. They would bring you out in a ceremony, slap you across the face, and you'd be ejected. That was the ejection was being slapped across the face. You are being rejected by your own people. You're being rejected from worshiping your God. This was a public shaming of someone. But that's what Jesus is saying. If they reject you, if they slap you across the face, if they eject you from the synagogue, love them. Do what is good to those. Find ways. Even if you are rejected, keep reaching out in hope. Again, going back to the coat and the, or the tunic. So that if someone takes from you your coat, Give them your shirt. Basically, the, the outer cloak and the under cloak. If someone takes you your outer cloak, you give them the under cloak. Right? It, it's this, this lavish generosity in the face of evil. Uh, but here's the thing. I want to look at this in the, in the, in the, in the flip side. What is the worldly value that, it, that Jesus is confronting here? Attack! Smear! Mock, belittle, discredit your enemies and opponents. This is how, that's the world's value. If someone attacks you, if someone disagrees with you, 
If someone posts an opposite opinion on Facebook rather other than you, attack! Smear! Don't try to dialogue. Shut them off. Smear them, belittle them, discredit them. Okay, what is it called? Amberlyn and I were trying to think about this this last week. What is it called when you attack the person rather than the argument? What's the fallacy? It's been so long since college. Because straw man's like where you like paint a picture, like a wrong picture of their argument and then you attack it instead of attacking their own argument. But then there's one that's like you attack the person and their character by belittling them instead of actually like talking about the argument. Thank you, ad hominem. Thank you, I think you're, I think you're right. Ad hominem, ad hominem. Thank you, thank you, Mark. I'm like, ah, <laughs> what is that word? And so this is, so this, this is basically like you, an ad hominem is hating your enemies, as the scripture talks about. So number two, give to everyone who asks of you. This is one of those exhortations as well. He's talking specifically about possessions. I mean, you know, money was not really that big a thing back then. It was mostly bartering and trading. And so it's possessions. Basically, don't ask for them back. This is an element of, of really of lavish forgiveness. Um, and, and so then what does the worldly value? Be stingy. Close-handed, it's your money. You, you deserve to have it. And close-handed with your stuff for possessions. And, but here's the other thing, being stingy and close-handed with your life. It's not so much that you're trying, you're, the worldly value is to try to protect your, your possessions and your money. It's don't let other people in. Isolate, separate. Because if you don't have relationships with people, they can't hurt you. But you miss out on the joy. You miss out on the relationship. You miss out on the connection. Share your life. Give your life to everyone who asks of you. Number three, treat others like you want to be treated. This is what? What is it called what? The golden rule. We all know that, right? Oftentimes in our Bibles, it's even labeled that. The golden rule. The golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated. Others, you know, people, brothers and sisters, Anthrop- anthropos, that was the word I was looking for, friend. It's the other word for friend, anthropos. It's others, it's people, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. You know, this is also attuned to the, the scripture that is continued throughout of the love your neighbor as yourself. For Israel, it was love your neighbor, which your neighbor was your brothers and sisters in Israel. It was your own people group. It was like, for us, it would be like your, your fellow Americans. Love your fellow Americans. Or specifically, even closer, closer to home, love your church. Love the people in your church. Love your neighbor. Love others. Detest what is evil. Love those who are evil. This is what Jesus is saying. What is the worldly value? Treat others according to a different subjective set of standards you get to define. Oftentimes, we create this, like the Pharisees, we create this whole thing of rules and regulations and things that other people have to fit into. But we, we subject our, we, we, words are hard. (laughs) We don't require ourselves to follow the same things. We place them on others and yet we reject to follow them ourselves. We neglect to follow them ourselves. This is the worldly value. Number four, 
If when you give, don't expect it back. What basically Jesus is saying is, you know, for them, like we were talking about a, couple, a few weeks ago, whenever you'd invite someone over to your house for a meal to share, you'd invite people that you'd want to be invited over to their houses as well. There's this balanced reciprocity. So you'd, get, you'd receive, or you'd give to receive it back. And this is also where interest started to come in too. They would charge people interest for loaning them money as well. But this is this, is this concept of a gift, of this generosity. What, what Jesus is saying is that your money, don't, don't treat money as utilitarian, pragmatic. As interest, you know, charging interest. Basically what Jesus is saying is this is not practical. This is, this is not a practical way of looking at money. This is not a utilitarian way of looking at money. This is not in your own self-interest in the sense of the way that the world looks at these things. Because what is the worldly value? Loan money, possessions, and require repayment. Make sure you get it back by the or else clause or with interest. So the longer it takes you to pay it back, the more money I'm going to get back. Or the, you're going to pay me the money back or you're going to die or you're going to be put in prison. Or I'm going to chop your arm off. Or break your legs at least. We have to understand Jesus' way is not common sense to the world. Jesus' way is radically different. Jesus' way is different. And it doesn't make sense oftentimes. It's confusing. Actually, sometimes it's very insulting. I love, just kind of dote on my, on my dad for a little bit. So my dad's philosophy is he would loan me money if I ever needed it, but he never considered it a loan. He always considered it a gift. And if I wanted to pay it back or could pay it back, then I would, then I could. But he never expected it back. He lived, he lives, he's still alive, he lives this principle out. But I want to make sure that we, we understand what Jesus is not saying. So two key, key points to understanding Jesus. So first is he is calling for people to have an individual responsibility. You are responsible for how you react to others. It doesn't matter if they hate you, scar you, bar you, reject you, slap you, whatever it is. You are responsible for you. You are responsible for your actions. This is individual responsibility. This is not Jesus saying, we need to fix the system. There's systemic this or that. Well, there's always going to be systemic this or that because humans are broken. And systems are made up of people. Of course the systems are going to be broken, but the way to fix them is not to fix the system. The way to fix the system is to fix the individual because Jesus is all about personal responsibility. You need to make sure that you are taking care of you. You need to make sure that you are engaging with growing in your relationship with Christ. Are you growing? Are you flourishing? You cannot legislate people into morality. Honestly, church, we cannot legislate people who are unbelievers in this world to be good people. And number two, Jesus is not teaching to be blind or indifferent to, to 
Injustice. Then he's been in. Injustice, not justice. <laughs> yes. Not teaching to be blind or indifferent to injustice. So he's not saying if you see something bad going on, do nothing. He's not saying be passive. He's not saying, oh, they're, they're, they, just, they need to take care of themselves. Oh, I see that, that boyfriend over there you know, beating up on his girlfriend. Oh, I see this person over here stealing from this other person. I see an injustice here. I see an injustice there. He's not calling us to be indifferent or pacifist. He's calling us for personal responsibility. When it happens to you, what do you do? We engage and fight for justice in the lives of others and ourselves. Don't, he's not saying to be a pincushion or to be a rug that people just walk over. He's talking about specifically, how do you diffuse an enemy? How do you diffuse a very hostile individual or situation? How do you de-escalate in a world that wants to escalate? Sometimes to protect others, you have to engage aggressively. There is a righteous anger that leads to righteous indignation, that leads to strong actions, strong words, correction. We need to speak up. Church, did you hear those last words I just said? We need to speak up about God's truth. The church has been silent for far too long about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church has been far too cowardly. We don't want to offend people by talking about Jesus. Or we just want, I want this relationship to work out, so I'm not going to do, do anything. I want my job to work out so that I don't ruffle feathers. No, we don't speak to be offensive. I and mean, the gospel is already offensive enough. And this is the way that we do it. With those who are hostile toward the message that we preach, how do we bring them into relationship? How do we welcome them in with love? We engage with evil and evil people and injustice God's way and not the way that evil and unjust people and systems engage. There is a third way, which we'll get to in here in a moment. Because violence produces violence. And evil begets evil. You know, think about, you know, Gandalf, this great character in Lord of the Rings. The gray wizard, or the white wizard, and uh, second half of the first one, or the second one. And Frodo's like, take this ring, take this evil object away from me. I don't want it. He's like, no, 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 no. I can't take this because I would take this with a desire to do good with it. But through me, it would wield a greater evil than the good I even tried to do. We don't battle evil with evil, no matter if it, it has good intentions. No matter the good intentions behind doing what you're doing, evil begets evil. Believers are called to a different standard of operating, a different modus operandi. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. 
Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Now, the goal is not to heap the fiery coals on his head. The, fire, the goal is love. <laughs> Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. And, sorry. Sorry, then I forgot. Romans 14, 19. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Hebrews. Basically says the same thing. (laughs) We need to be active, active, and passionately opposing evil in the world. Wherever we see it. And stand on the truth. Stand on the truth of God's word. The time for cowardice is over. We don't passively allow evil to overcome us. We actively overcome evil with good. Let me say that again. We don't passively allow evil to overcome us. We actively overcome evil with good. As the saying goes, the only thing that evil needs to do to succeed in the world is that good men, good men and women, good people do nothing. Because if we do nothing, evil wins. But we engage prayerfully, lovingly, passionately, with Jesus' passion, we will overcome evil in this world. How? Let's put it all together. What is, the, what is the, the verse at the very end of this that puts it all together? Your very last verse. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. <clears throat> Mercy, pity, compassion, grace is tied up in this word. You know, acting consistently with the revelation of God's covenant. This is what being merciful means. See people in their broken state and in light of eternity. Turning anger for the person into pity and grace. Turning pacifism for their position into righteous indignation. There's still a way, there's still an avenue to speak the truth in love. But it starts with, remember, speak truth. And that Greek word for truth, aletheia, means to reveal, means to bring out of hiding. 
needs to put on display that which is true. Truth is revealing God to the world, is revealing shalom to the world. So what do we do all this? How do we how do we respond to God's word? Well, we can be religious, legalistic, say do 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 do. We do this, do that. I'm going to create you know laws and rules in my own life and and try to try to you know you know legalize the New Testament. Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Black and white. I want to be very clear how I say this. The gospel is not black and white. God and his kingdom is not black and white. It does not allow for evil. Let me say that again. I'm not trying to justify that there's gray and gray is evil and God allows evil. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the gospel of Jesus Christ and his kingdom is not black and white. Because when we think about, when we try to look at the world as black and white, we think of very stringent rules by, that everyone has to live by. And so we're constantly looking at others, because it's easier, and not looking at ourselves, as to if we're living and abiding by our rules and our way of seeing Scripture, our way, the way that we were raised, and our interpretation. And there's no room for grace. That's why I think he ends this with merciful. Be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. That's what it means to be legalistic. Is to impose laws. That you break these laws. You don't live the way that I see that you should live. And we can't have fellowship. Versus how can I bring in this relationship? How can I sit with you across the table and have a discussion? Maybe you see things differently in politics than I do. How can I understand why you see things that way? Rather than just demonizing you because you're not a part of my political party. How can I welcome you in and love so that I can love those who are different? So I can engage with being steadfast faithful, steadfastly faithful and loving to you, my brother and sister in Christ. Or opposition, people who are evil. How do we... (laughs) Having grace, being merciful to those who are evil in the world, outside of Christ and outside of his church, we welcome them into our life so that we can let the grace and the goodness of the gospel change their life. And so when we look at the, at the world, like the, like the graphic for you know, the spring welcome to Shift Church, the, the flowers and, and the blooms, God created color for a reason. God created each person in this world differently as a way to proclaim his glory. And so instead of demonizing them as black and white, understand color, but don't allow for evil. We always want to engage people to shift their thinking 
for all of us to come into alignment with God. That's what that word unity is, this alignment mentality. So coming into alignment with God, his way, his truth, his life, and encouraging others to do the same. Forgiving others. We're also not, the, like I said, like not the other way, worldly and licentious. We're not just like, oh, you can just do whatever you want. Jesus died and rose from the dead. Forgive all sin. Yeah, you can just live out however you want. There are things in Scripture that show us this is the way of Christ. This is the way. And so we encourage each other and, and, and encounter one another in order to learn how to practically live these things out. Right? There are truths, heavy truths in Scripture. But what is the third way? We don't just lock people down. We also just don't let people free. There's a third way. And the desire, it's the desire to be like Jesus. Because that's what God looks like. Jesus even kept saying it. You, you keep asking to see the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you want to see the Father, if you want to see what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to see what eternity is like, look to Jesus. If you want to see how the Holy, how the Holy Spirit is supposed to speak to you, how he engages your heart, how he desires for your change, how he corrects you, look to Jesus. Responses to this way of being, to the, to the way of God, the way of Christ, because like I said, the early followers of Jesus, the, the early church, the early Christians were called followers of the way. What is the way? You know, and, and people's responses to this for the last 2,000 years have, you know, to this radical way of thinking and teaching and living, you know, we've, been, we've been accused of everything, right? You know, being out of touch with reality. Oh, you're so out of touch with real life. You've got to change your way to be more like us because this is the way. This is the way. Mandalorian. We are irrelevant. We have, no, we have nothing to contribute to society in the gospel. You are irrelevant, out of touch, otherworldly. It's like you're living in space. You're ignorant. Like, you're, we're being, we are being accused of being ignorant. If we only knew that what they knew in the world, we would come to their conclusions because they're right, we're wrong, they're smart, we're dumb. We are ignorant, stupid. Don't say stupid, Daddy. Okay, Jackson. Probably racist, because everything's racist nowadays. But. Big but. Big but. But those who will listen, as Jesus said, those who will listen to Jesus' teachings, living this reality changed the world. Living this way can change this world. And living this way will change this world. If we will say yes to God, no to the world, yes to God, this world will change. Like, who am I? Who am I? Ask yourself that question. Well, well, who am I? If you don't feel overwhelmed with wanting to change the world as an individual person among 330 
two million people, I think the new census came out. If you don't feel overwhelmed with the sheer volume of people and, and the, the inability to create change in the world, if you don't feel overwhelmed by that, you're probably not doing this life right. Because it's not your power. It's all Jesus. It's only Jesus. That's why we have to say yes to God. Some random nobody out of a pagan nation whose dad said, hey, let's go on a road trip, changed the course, the face of the world. Billions of people are now in heaven because of this one man. You know his name? Abraham. Who am I? You're nobody, but God makes nobody makes somebody's out of nobodies. But not because not for your glory. He entrusts these things to people who will make much of his glory. Who am I? I'm nobody. But God can make much of himself through a nobody. His goal is not to make me somebody. The goal of God, of God is to make him somebody in this world. As the song says, you are the Lord, the famous one. Our goal, the, glo- the word glory, I always love, you know, how my dad talks about this, is to make God famous. To glorify God is to make God famous. As Romans 12, 12, says, don't be overcome with evil, with doubts, confusion, but overcome evil with good. We don't seek to destroy those who are hostile enemies towards us. You know, when I say enemies, you know, them to us. No one should be an enemy of us, except for Satan and his angels. There's a proper way to hate in this world. To focus all of your anger, to focus all of your hatred. Where do you focus that hatred? Satan. Focus all that hatred towards Satan, his powers, his effects, his angels, his followers. In the spiritual realms, not in this realm. We don't focus our anger and our hatred at political figures and people we disagree with. They're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Remember that. Because God loves to transform enemies into friends. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we, were, while we were enemies, that's us, we, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Colossians 1 says, Once you were alienated and hostile, there's a word, hostile, enemies, in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. But now, he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Have we made ourselves enemies of the world, in the world? Are we only known in the church for what we're against? This is where this treating others as you want to be treated comes into, into play. But it's, it's not just that. So it's treating others, you know, how we want to be treated. 
but specifically that we are treating others how we want God to treat us. And then when we understand that, when we feel and sense that, then we ask ourselves, how do we want God to treat them? You must first experience the revelation that you were once enemies of God. You hated him, he hated you. Okay, he didn't hate you. Sorry, I'm going to correct that just right off the bat. You hated him. You were an enemy of God. But he loved you. He pursued you to bring you into fellowship with him, to make you a lover of God. So love in order to transform your enemies. How do we do that? Pray. Receive God's heart for others. Receive God's heart for you. Remember when you were separated and far off from God. Imagine, it will never happen, but imagine if God one day took his spirit away from you and walked away. Did your heart just sink? It'll never happen, by the way. I just want to make sure that that's clear right now. But understand because you, under, you know God's heart for you because you now feel his heart for him. So what is God's heart for you and what is God's heart for others? Feel what God's heart is for others. Feel that for them. And then that way you can feel that for them yourself. No one is too far gone. No one is ever too far gone. Yes, evil people, people are evil, and that's why Jesus came and died. That's why Jesus came. That's why the cross. As I always tell my, my, my son, whenever we go on Sunday mornings after church, when he comes up to take communion, I ask him again, why did Jesus do this? Why, did Jesus break, why was Jesus' body broken and his blood shed? Why did Jesus do this for you? He said, to make bad guys into good guys. That's what God does. That's what God still does. And that's what God will do through you, through us, his church. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To take haters and turn them into lovers. And all of us were once haters at one point. All of us were lost at one point. Even if you were two. Even if your story is that you grew up in the church or if you came to faith in your 30s or 40s, later on in life. Loving endurance, enduring with this. Love is hard and love works hard. It says in 1 Corinthians, it says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and what is it? Endures all things. That word of endures, I love it. It's like stays behind. You know, the steadfast faithfulness. Right? Perseverance. Someone strikes you. You endure. To patiently wait, says in Psalm 27, on the Lord. Which comes to this. I want to, I want to wrap up with this. Is that we build our lives on the 
firm foundation of Christ in the gospel, on the word of truth, the word of God. This isn't just some book of, you know, nice proverbs and sayings, an example of Jesus. You know, we should be good like he was good, do nice things, be nice. This Christ is our firm foundation. And when we build our foundation, we build our lives on the firm foundation of Christ, we fear no person. Their judgments, their hatreds, even their attacks. We fly into the jungles of Belgrade, willing to be stabbed through the heart with criticism, with rejection, slapped across the face, offered them the other cheek. Be re- you know what that means? Keep going back. Let them keep rejecting you, but keep going back and let them reject you and keep going back and keep rejecting you. Because maybe after the 34th time, for 34th and a half time, they might be like, hmm, I disagree with what you're saying, but I feel loved right now. Maybe I might start to crack the hard heart. That's what it means to turn the other cheek. Because when we are grounded in Christ, we can love our enemies out of a place of stability. Because when Christ is your foundation, you can love your enemies from that place of stability. Love Christ, love God, and love others. It's simple. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter if you agree with them or not. Doesn't matter if they hate you. Actually, it's better if they hate you because then it's more fun. More fun to see, not because you want to fight, but because you want to see God transform their life as God is transforming your life. Do the hard things. Love. Love others. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. God, we thank you for this morning. We pray that you would stir our hearts to live these truths, to live this this beautiful, beautiful truth. And that we would be able to see you, Lord Jesus, transforming people's lives by the power of the gospel. That we would engage and trust you, God. That we would be able to trust that you do want to transform, transform people's lives through our love of them, through our love of enemies. And trust that you want to transform people's lives. And I pray that you would open up opportunities for us to love so that we can get practice, so we can do it more and more and be able to see you come through so we can see you transform people's lives to bring them into the fold of of Christ, to bring them into the church, seeing, seeing people being baptized because they're being transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is that power upon which we stand, on the word of God, that it is trustworthy. And you, Lord God, are trustworthy. Let us trust you. And let us engage in your love on our enemies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.